Hello, everyone. It's another edition of the TetraCast. I am Brian Vitelli, and joining me are James Galizio. Hey, folks. And Adam Vitelli. Hello. So we've got a fair bit of news this week, but a lot of it, uh, if there was a theme for the week, it's games getting delayed. So a few games have decided we're getting kind of late into the year. Uh, the holiday se se season is getting a bit crowded, so we're going to delay ourselves. We got a few announcements of games moving out of this year or being announced for early next year. Um, we got a few other like small little, I've used this word before, clerical things. Um, not not any other real big headliners this week, but we'll go through what was announced just to kind of tidy up these details as we go into the big late October, early November releases. But first, we have been playing kind of a few different games ourselves as we just kind of try to round out our... I don't know what you want to call it, our playlists as we go into those releases. So I don't know if maybe James wants to talk about first about what he's been playing over the last couple of days. Um, I'll go a bit later. Okay. All right. I will then punt it over to Adam. Well, I haven't played too much this week. Uh, I finished Fate Tactics. I talked about that last week and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, and then I've started up Wasteland 3. And I know you just played that, and you've just gone over all your thoughts about it. And I actually played the preview earlier this year before they delayed it, because it was originally set to release in March. And right now, my thoughts are kind of the same. Um, I really like the tactical combat, even if it is kind of just like off-brand XCOM. Uh, it works. It's, it's fun. And a lot of the quest design, a lot of the character, like, control you have in terms of uh, in terms of creating your team and setting up your like um your party coordination and your builds of your characters and their skill sets both in and out of battle um the quest design i've already said that it, it's really solid i think as an rpg um and how many kind of, of you the, mentioned, how many of the squad mates have you replaced with like actual companions and how many do you have that are still like generics i have I have my first two characters that were just like pre-built characters. Right. And then I have two generics and then I have Quan and Lucia. So it's kind oh, of So you're still so you're still pretty early. Well, to be honest, I might just keep him cuz like I'm kind of been building them to like coordinate well with each other and I don't want to like like in fact I could have picked Jody, the sniper to put on my team, but one of my characters is already a sniper and like I don't want to up and like, pull, out, pull, pull out a gear out of my pull out a gear out of my team that I've been building and put in a new gear that may not fit quite as well, you know. Like no, I've even if it's maybe more of a bespoke character. Well, like I had a character who was a generic um, melee user, and I never really got another companion that uh, specifically fit that role. I, I can kind of guess maybe which ones I decided to pass on that would have. But yeah, I agree with you that. Um, you kind of end up being attached to even just these generic portraits and it's basically just a portrait and a stat loadout because you'll see, you'll see like how many times they've saved your ass in battle or, or anything like that. And it's kind of okay to have weeks like this where we're, we're all, some of us are just trying to play other games that other people have already covered on the site, which means it makes it a little bit tricky to talk about on the podcast here. Cause we don't want to like retread the same ground, but obviously as we go into eventually having to deliberate which of these games are our collective favorites of the year. We don't want to just have like one person assigned per game and just vouching for what they've played or what they reviewed. We want to try to have. I don't, 
I don't want there to be another Utuadumono Mask of Truth situation because that's like the one thing from uh, 2017's deliberations. I just so many regrets. That game should have been. Remind me what happened there. So Zach was the only one that had played them. So he was the only one that was able to make an argument. I had both of them and I played a bit of Mask Inception, but I had not I hadn't played nearly enough to be able to make an argument for game of the year. Or at least for the list. So And you think if you had played them by then you would have uh Yeah been in his corner? Yeah. Yeah, so obviously we didn't want me to be the only person to have played Fate Tactics, so no Adams played that or uh or only one to play Wasteland. Uh, I still have aspirations, and we'll get to this later, to play Neo 2. <laughs> like, I'm running, I've, I've, I remember, you could probably pull up a podcast from April where I'm like, I should play this game. And I still have it. I really, 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 really should. Uh, yeah, it's got to land before, I got I to gotta squeeze it in before Cyberpunk because, uh, or, or Age of Calamity, because if it's not by then, I don't know if it's going to happen. Um, did you have any other, like, uh, unique thoughts about Wasteland 3 or anything specific? I know you're still pretty early. Well, first of all, for Neo, it released, the original Neo, or released for PlayStation 4 in early 2017, and then a PC version came in late 2017. So uh, maybe you were doing the same thing as me and sort of waiting to see if a PC release would pop up. But yeah, but the thing with Neo... It's happening. It, it'll happen, but the thing is, is that Neo 1 released on PC after all the DLC had come out. And ah, since the DLC right. for two has been kind of been on a delayed uh, right. because of COVID, then I'm not expecting the PC version until probably at least a couple more months from now. Right, because yeah. they're they're at two out of three, and that's part of the news slate for later. Yeah, the Wasteland. You mentioned this as well. It's like it's in places. It's very zany. It's very silly, but it can be genuinely funny. Like, I think you mentioned this guy who has, who, like, found this old, like, this this game is set in, like, the 2100 somewhere, right? Uh, or maybe even 2200, so it's, like, a few hundred years in the future. And, like, this guy found an old video of Braveheart. Um, and, it, like, is trying to emulate a Scottish accent. And there's just some funny, amusing dialogue with this guy. Like, like for example... You can you can say like that's a Scottish accent. You look like you're, you sound like you're eating a sock or things like that. And it's, it's, so there are parts that are like amusing and funny, but there are some parts that are just kind of weird in terms of like I'm not sure if this is supposed to be funny or if it's just supposed to be like uh, off putting. It's just kind of that sort of tone of a game where it's yeah, there's not very some... well grounded. It's, it's kind of just it's very zany. There's some parts where you're just like I don't know if that was supposed to be funny because I'm just cringing. Uh, okay, I guess. But it's it's not quite the same way as uh, it just it doesn't feel like other post apocalyptic games are usually a lot more somber or if they're silly they only do it in like very specific moments or in very like well framed you know situations where here it's just kind of like permeates the whole thing where it's just like one of one of the major factions of the game are basically a bunch of people that dress like clowns and you can kind of say like well that's not that that's not that you know unique to have clowns framed as an antagonist, but they kind of like just decide to like, I don't care how unique this is. You're going to fight at least several dozen of these guys. So it's just, it's a very unique feeling game and it reads very uniquely. It's There's not quite anything else like it. That's what's stuck more to it. Like the gameplay is nothing new. 
the setting itself as just a post-apocalyptic wasteland is really nothing new, but they decide just to like write it in a sort of framework that it ends up feeling like something more wholly different from what you've already experienced, even though it borrows from those other ideas. I don't know if it does it very well, but it does, it does make a good attempt. So what game I've been playing is that I recently just finished, and I think I might have barely introduced this on a previous podcast, but I recently just finished my first playthrough of what's available for the early access of Baldur's Gate 3. Um, we actually put up a video on YouTube just yesterday about uh, just about a little over an hour's worth of gameplay from that. And my first takeaway is that I am not like super gung-ho on Baldur's Gate. I played it for the first time maybe about two years ago, year and a half ago, and uh, I, there, even when Baldur's Gate 3 was first announced, there was a kind of a vocal minority that said, you know, this is turn-based, it's a different developer, obviously. It looks nothing like Baldur's Gate. You know, how dare you, you know, besmirch the name of this great series. And I sort of see, like, where they're coming from because it really doesn't play like the other games. But I don't, I think, like, at some point, you kind of have to be expected, like, well, it's separated by 20 years. It's separated by a different developer. It's separated by three editions of D&D, at least. It's going to feel different to some extent. So um, it really doesn't feel like Baldur's Gate, but I still enjoyed it a lot, even if I kind of just think of it in my head as a um, D&D-themed Divinity game, because it's not like the Divinity games are like some trash-tier RPG series. They're really good, and I... I think that's one of the highest ratings I've given on RPG site is the review for Divinity Original Sin 2. So having more of that with a D&D twist with a few with a few genuine callbacks to to Baldur's Gate which I did also enjoy. Like I I don't really have a lot of, you know, umbrage with it being a sort of a different take on the idea. Maybe some people will per say, go ahead. Personally, I haven't played the early access. I think I just decided I'm just going to wait for 1.0, which might take a while. I know the Divinity Original Sin 2 uh, early access was a year, but I have a feeling this will be more than a year um, for various reasons. But personally, I think that this sort of tactical turn-based combat style is m way more interesting to me than real-time with pause. Real-time with pause is just, I don't know. It's, it can, it's it can kind of a headache, honestly. It can kind of end up feeling really chaotic, where you're just like, okay, before anyone hurts, I gotta, I gotta click my mage and cast like their one spell that is the most generally useful, and then click my tank and put them in the front, and then click my healer and cast something on, on like, and then pause, and you know, it just ends up being like very hectic, which some people might enjoy because you know, a lot of times when you have to make quick decisions like that and you end up being you know successful, you know, like there's a there's skill involved, and it's a little bit less about planning and strategy. I won't say it's not it's not absent, but a little bit less. But I remember feeling the same way about um, the uh, I played both Pathfinder Kingmaker, which is real time with pause and both Pillars games, which are real time with pause. Now, the funny thing is, is that both of those games, either officially or unofficially, now have um, turn based modes. So there is at least a, a, a large enough vocal sentiment of people who really don't gel with real time with pause that they are either they're either, you know, coercing the developers into making turn-based modes or they're modding it in themselves and then i think in the in the case of pathfinder it started as a mod and then they, they basically like blessed it like they made it semi yeah in the in the in the console definitive edition of that which came out a couple months ago they literally just include the turn-based mode in the release like it is official now 
kind of weird how that works. I, I have heard that when you play games like that, which were intended to be played at a certain pace, and then you put in a turn-based mode, uh, it does slow it down. It turns a seventy-hour RPG into a into a hundred-hour RPG. Um, so I do think that having a turn-based game, where where in uh, the original Baldur's Gate, you might be like outside of a cave or uh, in the open field, and there's just wolves dotting the map, and or ogres or hobgoblins dotting the map, and then you just you kind of have to. There's some of them you're just going to bulldoze over. They're you know they're not meant to really be a challenge. They're they're just meant to be a little bit of rubble in your way. Where in a turn-based game like Divinity or like so far Baldur's Gate three, all of the encounters are more specifically almost like specifically designed they're almost like you could actually list them out if you were to list out every fight in a Baldur's gate or even a pillars game you'd end up with a lot of like so many like trash fights or like in this area you'll fight three wolves in this area you fight x whatever's where in Baldur's gate three if you wanted to you could and i bet i bet if you go on the reddit or something you could probably find this where it's like you fight this specific character outside of this area and for this quest you'll end up encountering this battle here which you may avoid with a certain skill check or whatever it ends up feeling a lot more deliberately designed which i think is one of the best benefits of eight of a of a turn-based game where you have to if you have to slow it down and have fewer fights you can make each fight more meaningful and have more like specific strategy involved and play with the environment in that specific area um one of the weaknesses i'm kind of avoiding talking about like bugs or issues or texture pop or poor animations because those are all present yes but i feel like there's really not a lot of a lot to gain about talking about those now because it's early access of course they are they're probably going to like if if they if they ended up not fixing them if there was a certain big glaring issue that ends up persisting through 1.0 then yeah sure let's let's call it out but otherwise it it seems kind of fruitless to do that here one one of the I feel other like weeks. it's important to mention that for a game this early in development like uh, Baldur's Gate three, it's essentially still in an alpha state. Yeah. So, like, bugs are going to happen for all intents and purposes. It sounds like, considering how early in development it is, yeah, there's bugs, but it's actually not as bad as you would maybe expect. So. Well, yeah, I didn't have very many issues. There are some people who have significantly more. And you never want to say like, "Why well, it, it was fine for me," because that doesn't that doesn't help anyone. Uh, but I never, I think I did one issue that I had that was that showed up twice, I believe, in my twenty five hours, is that the game would start to go from being sixty ish FPS to being like five, and I had to restart the game in order for it to like I don't know if it was like a memory leak or what. Uh, but I'm just sort of person like, okay, it's early access, just restart it, grit your teeth, and go. But some people like that really bothers them. One thing that I will say more generally is that Baldur's Gate 3 makes a lot more use of third-person cutscenes, like just very traditional over-the-shoulder or, you know, cinematic-styled, you know, scenes, which is something that really wasn't present in most other isometric games, to be honest, uh, at least the isometric RPGs of the last few years. And in some of those scenes, they seem like really kind of rough. Like there's one where you're supposed to be like falling out of a ship so this is not really a spoiler. It's just more of the premise. You escape that um, Mind Flayer ship from the from the trailers and you're falling out of it. And the camera is like zoomed in on your face and you're like, it looks like you're just like wiggling in midair and you're supposed to be like falling towards the planet or towards the ground. And it just doesn't really, it doesn't really communicate the idea of the scene very well. It looks really, really rough. And there's another scene where there's supposed to be like a dragon or like, like not, not like a full-fledged dragon, but a small like wyvern, like burning down a tower. 
or like scaring off like some enemies and it does it just doesn't have like the weight to it that you think it should it's like flying in air it doesn't it doesn't have it doesn't make any like much sound it feels like it it almost feels like a plastic doll just like hovering above the the screen and it's some some of those cutscenes i feel like these need a little bit of tlc they don't i'd rather almost just have it explained to me in a dialogue box kind of like it would normally do and then you just paint the picture with your mind's eye rather than have it poorly represented in kind of these cutscene type things that are not well done but that is a new uh a new territory for the studio so i'm kind of like giving them some slack and obviously on top of it being early access the last thing i'll say is that um the game as it is in early access does hint at some long-term consequences both in terms of companions but then also in terms of uh, the premise of the game is that you have this mind flayer tadpole like in your brain that is for some reason dormant and not turning you into a mind flayer. And you don't really know why. You don't know if that's an intended design or what. And you basically have a telepathic connection to any other people that have this, the other people in your party and a few other people you meet in the world. And there's some subtle hints that suggest the more you use that telepathic ability, the more it's going to damage you in the long run. That you want to avoid using that, even though it can get you out of jams and be very useful. It's kind of like a you know, a, it's like a pot of boiling water that you don't want to stick your hand in. Um, but I don't think anything. There's really no payoff to that as the game stands, though it hints at it. There's also stuff like with the companions, where one of them is a wizard named Gale, and he doesn't explain it fully here. But he says that he has an affliction where he has to like subsist on the magic found in magical artifacts. So you might do a quest and be rewarded with a magic statue that is a useful thing to have in your inventory. But he says, give that to me. I'll need it. I can't tell you why. Just trust me. And then there's really no payoff for that either. So it's it's kind of a decent demo in a way where it's like, I want to see like, sh should I have should I have acquiesced to it? Because there's no reason really to do that in the early access you're not going to gain anything and there's no reason not to use this tadpole's telepathic ability in your brain because you're not going to lose anything so i really hope that those do really end up being fully implemented long-term sort of uh consequential things that the game will end up uh kind of fully fleshing out and that is kind of one of the ways that this does rhyme a little bit with Baldur's Gate. So in the original Baldur's Gate, the premise is, and this is a tiny bit of a spoiler, but you learn about it partway through the first game, and it's a very old game, but you end up learning that you are the offspring of Baal, which is basically like this evil deity being thing. So you are Baal spawn, and you have these evil, people hate you for it, and you know you can choose to like really relish in that and become like a new you know evil person on the throne, or you can say like, I am not my father's son and be like an actual good person. There's that rhymes a little bit with this idea of having a tadpole in your head that you have to learn, learn to like deal with. And it's kind of driving you to try to have this certain abilities that you can tap into if you want to. It's a little bit loose, but I can sort of see that there's a bit of a similarity there. But other than that, it really doesn't feel like Baldur's Gate. I like it a lot, but it doesn't feel like Baldur's Gate. All right, James, uh, we've left you for last. I don't know if there's anything you... I think you're still under embargo for one of the things you've been playing, as has been... Yeah, <laughs> so the main thing that I played this week, I can't talk about until next week. And, um, yeah, unfortunate, because I have a lot of things I want to talk about there. <laughs> next week, it'll be a doozy. Yeah. Um, but, kind of as... Um, 
a reward for getting through <laughs> and that one game. I finally started playing through 13 Sentinels. Now, I picked that up at launch, and I, I wanted to get to it, but pretty much right after I um, picked it up, we kind of got, like, Robotics Notes code in. So I was, like, playing... <laughs> I just haven't had a chance to start it until just recently. But um, I guess much like Josh said in his review, there's really not too much you can say about 13 Sentinels to explain how it does things so uniquely without really kind of spoiling some of the charm. Like, it's an onlinear, like, it's not linear storytelling. There's the RTS-type gameplay and all of that. It's a beautiful vanillaware game. Like, I feel like... I, so I've been streaming this through Discord to both, like, some friends, and, like, last night in the RPG Essay, the staff channel, I also had it going on for a bit. And it felt like every, like, five minutes I was saying, wow, this game is so beautiful, because, like, Every, like you hear the phrase "every um, frames a painting" when you're talking about like artsy movies, but in this case, like every frame of this video game legitimately is a painting. It's just breathtaking. Some like the use of colors, the use of um, animation, the um, overall atmosphere in general. It's just you play through the game and you can totally understand why it took so long for this to come out. Because the amount of detail and the amount of artistry just in the display of the environments is something else. So and I remember you were streaming it, and we were actually peering into it here a little bit yesterday. And it is like you, you pointed out how there's one place where it's, it's either early morning or late evening, I don't remember, but the sun was just over the horizon, peering through the windows, through the curtains. So you kind of had that like uh, flashlight well, effect yeah. where it was like, it was like diffusing the light as it passed through the curtain and then it would move as you, it wasn't just baked into the curtain's color as you moved that, that glow would shift along with your perspective. And it was just like, man, like what attention to detail. That's something that is absolutely over, you know, above and beyond what they had to do, but they decided, you know, to hell with it. We're doing this anyways. I definitely say, go ahead. I definitely say it's probably a shoe in for like, if we still have a shout out for like visuals or whatnot this year on the game of year cast, it feels like, almost an inevitability at this point because man what what but, would uh, even compete i'm just like trying to think what else released this year that was really visually striking I, yeah I, I can't even really come up with an example not that everything is here is looked bad it's just kind of looked as expected like once that comes out like once it like you have ray tracing and all that but it's a different type of visual like yeah know. yeah yeah more, more artistry and less technical or whatever and anyone who's played a vanillaware game, I guess, shouldn't really be surprised. I've played somehow. I've both. I've played both Dragon Crown and Muramasa. I haven't played Odin's here. Um, I'd say, so, like, obviously Muramasa and Odin's Sphere are beautiful and all that, but I feel like, like, Thirteen Sentinels is even for vanillaware is like a step above, and. It's not really something you get, you get a feel from just watching like a trailer or just seeing a few screenshots, but the amount of density of detail in some of these scenes is insane. Like, there's like this one scene with like a. Well, hmm. I think one thing that really strikes me is just how colorful this game is. And obviously, Vanillaware is always colorful, but it's a specific type of colorful here where. In most scenes, 
a bunch of the colors are muted, but then there's like just a few, like two or three or maybe even four that really stand out. Maybe they're like a highlight for a scene. Like, for example, there's this like one kind of late night cityscape where there's like a bunch of blues and greens. And then there's these cars like passing up and by in the distance. And then all these people walking around. And it's just so much detail, so much animation packed in just this one scene. And there's literally dozens of scenes exactly like this with vastly different like visuals and in the entire game and i'm still pretty early i'm only like i'd say about a third of the way through the game maybe a little bit more but it's just absolutely striking and that alone is really engrossing me but then there's also fantastic soundtrack the story so far that i can't talk about it because it's very like spoiler um spoiler heavy is very interesting. It's got a lot of twists and turns. I'm start. I feel like I'm starting to get an idea of where some things are headed. But since I'm still early, maybe there will be a bit more twists. But um, yeah, I, I I knew I was probably going to like it heading in, but I'm definitely happy that it's turning out as well as I was hoping. And this is yeah another instance of trying to broaden our our base for defending or, or trying to see which games are going to end up near the top of our RPG list. Obviously it's based on Josh's glowing review and your initial impressions. It seems like 13 Sentinels is going to end up pretty high on the list. Uh, though obviously yeah. the deliberations haven't happened yet. Uh, but yep, just another instance of trying to have multiple perspectives for each game. It'll be interesting to see though, if you get any that are like, well, I'm guessing just speaking more generally, like stuff like Final Fantasy VII Remake is where it might be a bit more contentious, where more people have played it and the and the opinion is less unified. But we'll see where that ends up. Uh, so it's really cool that we're getting to get your perspective as well on 13 Sentinels alongside uh, Josh and maybe Chow if he gets to it. I don't know if anyone else uh, has also gotten to it yet. I bet if we bug Colin enough, he'll get to it. Yeah, it definitely seems like something he would really dig. But we'll see. So that was a little bit of an abbreviated what we've been playing section, but it's kind of games we've covered before, early access games or games we're not really far in yet, or games we can't talk about yet. So I guess it just kind of is what it is. Um, we'll just move on into the news section here. Uh, we have a few articles that I do want to shout out. Uh, not as many reviews as we had last week, but a few interesting things. Uh, Josh, Josh Torres, did do a preview for Yakuza Like a Dragon. and just some background over the last several months he, he has been taking this very seriously so starting in around march or april ish he has played through all of the other yakuza games from zero to kwami kwami two three four five six uh he so he has he has he has set the groundwork to go into yakuza like a dragon which is in japan yakuza 7 the eighth line main the eighth mainline game if you include zero. So he, he basically is going in with all the context you could ever need. And he really had a pretty glowing preview for the game. Uh, I don't want to speak for him, but I do believe that the fact that he had that sort of mindset to have that background would kind of betrays his opinion on, do you think that this game is actually a good starting point for the series? It seems like it, that people are going to disagree on how how clean of a start like a dragon will be for newcomers. Obviously, it has a different um, battle system and a different protagonist, but it does 
at least based on what I've read, it does borrow a lot from specifically Yakuza's five and six in terms of plot progression. So it'll be interesting to see, like, if I play through this and I haven't played those games, how lost I'll end up. Uh, but he he did a nice preview for it, and that's another another uh, upcoming release that'll be for the holiday season. So. Uh, we'll see how far that ends up on our final list. But yep, do go ahead and read that preview up on the site. We also did a review for a game that just released and is on uh, Game Pass, Eichenfell. Uh Danny reviewed this for us. It's an indie RPG. Uh, I don't really know much about it. It seems kind of in the same like vein as like Night in the Woods or Undertale in terms of really like telling a more down-to-earth, heartfelt story. And it really vibed with her a lot. And she had another really glowing review for it. So since it is on Game Pass, I, I'm kind of tempted to try it out. But as I've said, like I've got a bunch of games that I've been interested in trying out and only have so much time. But we do have a review up for uh, for Eichenfell. I don't know if you know anything yeah. else about it, Adam. Um, apparently, it borrows heavily from like the Mario and Luigi series for combat in terms of like... Uh, it's turn-based, but there's some like dynamic action button presses for for both attacking and defending. But Danny was Danny's the type of person she didn't really care for the combat much at all, but she really gelled with the the characters in the storyline. So that was kind of like she really liked the game, but that's the reason why it was the characters in the story, not so much the the combat elements of it. So that's where she's coming from. Seems interesting. But, but this year has been a really good year for indies. We've we've had. Bug Fables on console, we've had Fate Tactics. You might include Hades, even though there I think you're kind of stretching the definition a bit. So it'll be interesting to see like how many indies end up like on game of the year list, just in general, both ours and just, you know, across the different, you know, publications. We also have some impressions for a few other games. Uh George, who is not here today because he apparently worked seven days in a row and is completely tired, uh, did a impression piece on the demo of Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory. And I feel bad like teasing him while he's not here, but I, he is, anyone who's listened to George on this podcast knows that he is a very, 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 very big Kingdom Hearts fan. So I felt like he had the only takeaway from this game that he would have ever had been expected to have. He absolutely is enthralled by it. Uh, he even worded it like, this is the game that fans have been waiting for. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know if I'd go that far. Uh, I don't want to like be so dour, but it's it. He was very, very high on it. So I, I guess I'll let's right. just say, go ahead, James. I was just gonna say that I feel like even if you're like not a fan of like Kingdom Hearts story or whatnot, like it, the soundtrack is something that pretty much everyone can agree is definitely not only just a hallmark, but very much um, one of the best things about the series. It's just the music, the variety of the music, and whatnot. So, I mean, makes sense that fans would be waiting for a uh, rhythm game for a long time, especially since you saw, well, you saw both uh, Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest get the Ash Rhythm games on 3DS and for Final Fantasy. And this, this is, do we know if this is from the same team or? It is. Or, like one okay. of their co-directors is the theater rhythm guy. Yeah. Oh, cool. All right, so I mean, maybe I won't be as much of a Debbie Downer on it, but he, he was basically very, very, very glowing on it. I'll just say that. But yeah, we do have the preview up. Yeah, I mean, I'm, for one, very excited to get to playing this. I'm not sure if I'll pick it up at full price at launch, but I'll, I'll pick it up down the line for sure. Yeah. 
And as always, it'll be interesting to see like how much very important story relevant stuff they'll throw into here as they've teased with a few of the trailers. Obviously, none of that is present in the demo, so that's kind of off the table at this point. Uh, but we do have the preview up about how the actual game itself plays and things like that. The game, the full release, so the demo is out now, so anyone can play it. Um, the full release is November 13th for us in the West. And then the last impressions piece is one that I wasn't even aware that we had put up because I wasn't paying attention, but James actually put up a piece for the Romancing Saga Reuniverse, the mobile game based on the, the Saga series. So I don't know if you wanted to speak to what your preview uh, entailed. It, it can basically be summed up as, uh, as of right now, it's very clear that Gornex uh, is trying incredibly hard to get people to try and stick around with the game. Uh, as far as mobile games go, at least the ones I've played, I'm not an expert. If Josh is in here, he definitely have much more to talk about. <laughs> but um, it seems interesting. Uh, the battle system is very Saga, so that's good. So it actually feels like a Saga game. The music is great. The art style has a has a, a really charming like a SNES like 16-bit aesthetic. Um, so everything about the game itself. I feel like I'm positive about. But the, me- the thing I mentioned in my impressions is that I remember back in, at Anime Expo 2018, I interviewed the producer for the, at the time, new announcement for Star Ocean Anamnesis coming over to the West. And, only, and after only a year of that game being released in the West, it was discontinued. It still gets support in Japan, but the global release, you can no longer play. So when I was going through my impressions, I looked at things like, okay, so where's this game on like the Google Play Store, like top roasting charts? It's nowhere near it. Sure, I'm, I'm, I bet plenty of people have downloaded it, and I bet people are enjoying it, but right now the game just absolutely swamps you in free rolls and all sorts of login bonuses. And I'm sure part of that is to to cash people up. But the problem is, is that by the time that that well goes dry, how many people are actually going to to pay for gotcha rolls? How many people are going to be sticking around? And I believe that if this game lasts for like two years, it'll eventually be worth sticking around because it'll probably like, I feel like it's a good game. But the problem is, is that if we look at like Square Enix's like track record when it comes to non-Final Fantasy property, like gotcha games in the West, it's not good. So unless like Square Enix comes out and says that they're going to support the game for a minimum amount of time, I can't in good conscience recommend people to go and play it because the thing with these games is that they're live services just as much as something like an MMO or Destiny or stuff like that. You invest time into them, and that's where the value comes from. And if something like this is just going to be dead and gone in the West in around the space of a year, how can I say with a straight face that people should play it unless they're okay with that? I feel you. And for some context for for anyone who uh, maybe hasn't listened to the site for that long, uh, we ended up giving our game of the year to last year to Saga Scarlet Grace Ambitions. And uh, that's why. And another thing is that uh, Square Enix has actually been kind of peppering us for coverage for this for a couple of months now. Um, 
finally got around to it. But I'm sure part of that was because we were, as um, Brian was about to say, that I gave Saga Scarlet Grace a 10 out of 10, and the site as a whole decided on it for our RPG of the Year last year. So it's yeah. not like we have anything against Saga. It's nothing about that. It's just... And Adam, I don't, I think, also thinks very, very highly of the game. I don't know if you give it a ten. Oh yeah, I put like two hundred and fifty hours into it. I did <laughs> okay, all the routes. Maybe he would. And then I played it earlier this year, or it was either it was like right around the turn of the year. I played through it and enjoyed it a lot. Maybe not as much, but still a lot. Uh, so we are fans of the series. And like, if there is one game that would get me to download a gotcha game on my phone, it's probably this. Uh, there I go again, saying another game I'd like to play, but probably won't get around to. But it was we do uh, have trial for Final Fantasy fourteen now includes Heaven's Word. Yes, it does. It does. Uh, but so okay, so we have all these different articles up. We have Yakuza Like a Dragon preview, I Can Fail review, the Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory demo impressions, and the Romancing Saga impressions. So. Uh, Outside of the I Can Fail review, none of them are scored, just kind of long form what we feel about the games so far uh, as they are going to be releasing. Well, I guess Romancing Saga is released, but we don't know how much support it will get post-release. All right, into the more uh, you know brass tacks of news topics. First, we're going to be talking about a lot of dates here, uh, as I kind of alluded to at the top. The first one is we do have a release date for a pretty well-anticipated game coming out soon, um, Atelier Ryza 2. It will be releasing next year on January 26th, uh, but in Europe on January 29th. Uh, so not going to be a this year game, was well-regarded last year. Did it make our top 10? I don't actually remember. It did not. It did not. Uh, darn. <laughs> but pretty well regarded. Obviously, it's been kind of a shot in the arm for the series in terms of general recognition. Uh, and a series that doesn't often do same character sequels, or at least it hasn't in a while. Now, one thing, maybe Adam, you know the details for this. Does the January release date include the Switch version or no? I believe so. Yeah, it does. It's... Okay. For some reason, I was thinking the Switch version was like confirmed to release, but be later. Uh, but no, I guess I guess it's everything. Uh, the PS5 version will only be available digitally, but um, anyone who buys the PS4 version will be able to upgrade at no cost. So might be might be an early pretty good game for uh, 2021. Did anyone here play Ryza? <laughs> uh, I've been meaning to get around to it. Um, actually, was going to pick up a Switch copy because uh, Koei Tecmo finally did a reprint for the North American Switch version. Which, uh, by the way, uh, that one when when it was uh, originally out of print uh, ended up going for around a hundred bucks new on eBay now. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing like the typical sales um, people on like Twitter, like Wario Six Four. Whenever they tweet about Rise of Switch version, it goes out in an instant. Like, yeah, and so basically, Koei Tecmo finally did a reprint on Amazon only, and it basically sold out within like five minutes. So I wasn't able to get it. At this point, I'll probably just either pick it up during the Steam sale or I'll pick up the European version on Amazon because there's like an import like listing with prime shipping for like 60 bucks. So it's like, it doesn't really matter. It just has a Peggy logo instead of a ESRB. So I might go that route. But uh, as I, I need to get back to uh, Esken, um, Esken Logi because 
earlier this year I played through Aisha and I really enjoyed it. <clears throat> and I do want to get to Rise Up, but I feel like I should probably finish the Dust Trilogy first. So, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll try and get through Ryza before Ryza 2 comes out, because I do feel like that's going to be, uh, like, considering how well-received the first one was, and from what I'm hearing from people that have played the first one and what they're seeing in the trailer, it looks like it's going to be a really promising follow-up. So that might be a strong contender for next year, like, early on. For, like, next year's cast, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. The next three stories I'll kind of bundle into one. Uh, games that were originally slated for 2020 but have been pushed out just due to COVID, due to general you know struggles in de- development. Uh, Digimon Survive, we talked about this briefly last week on the podcast. It was very heavily hinted that it would be delayed out of the year, uh, and now it's confirmed. So Digimon Survive has been delayed to early 2021. Uh, Chris Tales, which was kind of been incubating for a long time, and finally announced for a November release date earlier this year, they have revealed that it's probably not, or not probably, definitely not going to hit that target and will also be delayed to 2021. And then finally, a game that's not as high profile, but Game Deck, which is this the one that Danny did a preview on that was not very yes. good? <laughs> a, very, a very less than glowing preview for Game Deck. This is an isometric cyberpunk game. Uh, which sounds really nice on paper, but some of the some of the storytelling in there seemed really, really kind of silly and dumb. Uh, it's also delayed to 2021. Um, For what it's worth, in their delay message, they pretty much acknowledged like, yeah, the previews from press and content creators kind of was like some tough medicine. Like the, the, the Danny wasn't the only one, and I guess they kind of took it to heart. Like we need to do some reshaping. <laughs> It's it, the game seems interesting, like like you said on paper, where it's it's a non combat game. It's like it's basically an RPG where you're like a detective in the future. But yeah, so the writing, of course, in that case would become very important, and apparently it wasn't great. So yeah. So we have three games also to look forward to on 2021 lists. Uh, not really certain how high games like Chris Tales or uh, Game Deck will go, but maybe they'll end up surprising us. We'll see. And then obviously Digimon Survive. I haven't played a Digimon game in a long time. Uh, but this, this seems like this has been a really high profile release for that series. And I guess while I'm talking about it, I'll shift ahead to another um, another news bit from later. Is that uh, Digimon Cyber Sleuth and Cyber Sleuth Hacker's Memory have sold a combined one and a half million copies. And they did a, a big like celebration post on the Twitter about you know thanking the fans for all their support and things like that. Um, two games that we've actually scored pretty well. Uh, did Lucas do both of those? Well, we never we never reviewed the original releases for either. Just honestly, due to circumstance, just like we didn't have people available to review them. So basically, Lucas reviewed the combo pack ah, of, of games, and that was our first review for either. And I believe he gave it a nine. And I hear these games are really solid, even like if you're someone like me who I don't really have any attachment to the Digimon like IP. Like I didn't really watch the show or play the cards or whatever it is um but apparently the games are just pretty good in their own right like kind of like a you know a monster collection pokemon snt ish you know raising turn-based rpg so i'll probably play them eventually i yeah i just need more time to play these things first uh cyber sleuth on vita and i put like five hours into it like years ago and i haven't picked it up again Yet another uh, game on that system's backlog. I, I'll probably—I I swear I'll get to it eventually. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But it's just another another interesting case about how for this developer and their expectations, one and a half million is like a big, big success for them. Just we've had this little conversation before, but it's just kind of crazy to see like the scales that different. And they announce that there's going to be another game in that sub series like pretty soon or whatnot. Like didn't they announce that they're working on a different on a on a new one? I yeah, I think they I think they stated outright that there is going to be another Digimon story game. Now, it, will it be Cyberclue style, style, or will it be like a new Digimon story style? But it's, I guess, in that hey, if it's, that umbrella. I mean, hey, it's the same team, and like from all I can tell, like both the original Cyber um, Cybersleuth and Hacker's Memory were well received. So that that's enough to get me hyped about whatever's next. And then, like uh, Digimon Survive, which is the one that was delayed till next year, it's supposed to be more like tactical focus, which I know some people kind of like roll their eyes at like uh cheap you know t- over the head view t- tactical games but, but i actually like really dig that so i might really like pick up survive uh first just because it really seems to be kind of the type of game i've been like really drawn to recently there's a part of me that kind of thinks like like from instinct like are people really looking for like a tactical digimon game but then you see stuff like fire emblem does you know plenty well enough like yeah i can see it So let's see. We talked about the three delays. Um, here is a, a Shin Megami Tensei 3 HD remaster. There's no good way to segue. Um, it's This is releasing in October. Or has it already released in Japan? I forget. Like We're already mostly through the month. October 29th. So no, later in the month in Japan and spring 2021 for, um, for us in the West. They went through and kind of detailed the available downloadable content for... Uh, the remaster of Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne, which might seem a little bit like small potatoes, like, okay, DLC. But one interesting thing here is that when this game was first announced, it was announced to be versed on the Maniacs version, which does not have Dante from the Devil May Cry series, but he will actually be available through DLC through a $10 purchase to replace Raidu with Dante. So To be um, clear, that was already announced like a while yeah, ago. Yeah, that but they also the just... Right. DLC announcement. So was there anything else really interesting in the remaining DLC that they kind of planned out? The only thing, all it is, is really like you can download, buy music tracks to basically be from the other SMT games. And there's like cheat DLC, like just do this mission over and over to get infinite EXP or infinite money. So for people who think Nocturne is, Nocturne has a reputation for being pretty tough. And that's just sort of like, here's a way you can just buy your way out of that. And there's also going to be a, um, a lower difficulty mode as well. That that one is free. I believe all the rest of the DLC is paid in some regard. So yeah, there's cheat DLC, which isn't new to Atlas games. Yep. So if you're interested in getting this game, whether you're importing the Japanese version or waiting for it, we've got just the details and what the DLC will be. It's um, not price. It's it's a Japanese focus release, so it talks about all the prices in yen, but you can just kind of convert roughly. 100 yen, $1 to see probably what it'll end up being as it releases over here next year. All right, as we go to the other side of the pond and talk about some Western RPGs uh, that are releasing soon, um, we've got Assassin's Creed Valhalla, a deep dive trailer and recommended specs. I don't really know much about what was shown here, except that apparently they updated the recommended spec from a from a 280 Ti to a 380, or, or for it to a 3080 or something like that. They recently added one of the recent NVIDIA cards as the recommended spec for the highest um, for the highest preset. 
I didn't see that. I saw the 280. They had the 280 Ti. Oh, I saw something. I saw something where they said, like, actually a 380 would be good here. A 3080. I don't know. I keep saying 380. It does uh, seem like pretty intensive. Like, this is going to be one of the more intensive games in a while for PC players. So, if you want to play like above 1080p. Uh, yeah, I guess there's really not much more to say on that. Like, Assassin's the deep dive trailer is kind of a lengthy eight minute trailer that kind of goes over basically like a sales pitch for the game. Like, here is the premise. Here is what you do with the combat. Here are what, how you can customize your character. Here's how you build your settlement. And here's what things you can do in your settlement and sort of thing. So it's just kind of like, you know, a lengthy narrative description of this is what you can do. This is what this game is. And then there's a, they did a stream which is kind of a more like that was a very, the first video was a very, you know, overproduced video sort of thing. And the second, they also had a stream, which is basically like an hour long, just casual, like here's us actually playing the game, like in real time sort of thing. So it's, you know, plenty of footage to see if this game is something you're interested in or not. I feel like this is a bit of a, uh, well, do we know if, if we're, if we have a reviewer on for Valhalla? I I it's, been like, it's been like shuffled around a bit. Like, I'll do it. No, actually, he'll do it. No, maybe she'll do it. <laughs> well, I, I think a discussion can be made about the fact that um, the series probably has gotten a reputation past Odyssey about having maybe too much content. <laughs> and because, yeah. like, I have a friend that's been playing through, and I, uh, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I have a friend that's been playing through the more or less entire Assassin's Creed franchise in the lead up to Valhalla. And he recently started Odyssey, and he's like 20 hours into the game, and he decided to check the map to see, oh, how much of the game has he done? How much does he have left? And he's still on, like, the starting island, and he, like, scrolls out, scrolls out, scrolls out, and he's just like, oh, my God, there is so much left. It feels like... It is is daunting. We're just like, man, this game is just going to consume my free time if I play it. I mean, that's great if you only buy one game a year, but especially for folks like us, where it's like, there's there's so many RPGs coming out every year. Like, and this year is probably like one of the slower years. Right, it's just, right. <laughs> it's a lot to uh, dedicate yourself to. Uh, not everyone can uh, go get through an 100-hour RPG in like two weeks. So... And like it seems like Ubisoft, and we've talked about this, where they're just like it'll be a little smaller, but actually still very, very, very big. Like they're trying to like placate both crowds of people that just want more and more and more, and people are just like, oh, this is too much. They're like, oh, we're gonna reel it in a bit, just a bit, maybe, maybe imperceptibly so. <laughs> and they even backtracked because they said something along the lines of the world is maybe a bit smaller, but the amount of content's the same. So I don't know. Yeah, that's what I meant. They're they're just trying to like have their cake and eat it too. But like I've stated before, last time we talked about Valhalla, like I'm interested in seeing how well this game does, because uh, I feel like it's been a little bit less, for lack of a better word, hyped going into it compared to Odyssey and Origins. I feel like this year the main thing that people have been talking about when they're mentioning Ubisoft has been the yeah, that's part of it. So. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I know there's people that are really hyped for this, and I'm sure it'll be a good time because both Origins and Odyssey have their fans. So, I mean, for all intents and purposes, this should be a good RPG. Which it's still weird to think that yeah. Assassin's Creed is like not even a 
kind of an RPG franchise. It's just straight up an action RPG. Yep. Just really weird to think about that. I'm interested to see what George thinks about this because he seems like out of the people who are regular podcast members, he's, he'd be the one that'd be like, give the most earnest take on this and play it pretty soon after a launch. Okay. So we'll I mean, a friend of mine just recently got a new CPU, but he didn't want this game, so he let me kind of use his code. So I technically own a copy of this, and I could play it. So, I mean, maybe I should play it, just so we have at least one more person to talk about on the podcast. Yeah, like we talked, just like we talked about getting more people to have, you know, a better basis for any individual game that we want to discuss in terms of RPG placement, RPG of the year placement. Yeah. Speaking of, I hate this preamble, but I have to do it. Speaking of Western RPGs that can't seem to nail the marketing, we got a new uh, Night City Wire for Cyberpunk 2077, talking specifically a lot about um, vehicle partnerships with Porsche and other. Uh, and then they also talked about a partnership with Keanu Reeves. Uh, is it a small business that he runs? That uh, it's Arch Motorcycle. It's like a custom motorcycle company. I don't know the specifics, but it's. It's actually a company that he founded like 10 years ago or something like that. So, motorcycles. Yeah. Yep. So, it's they're, they're on the fourth of, a, of this series of videos. So, they're kind of really getting into the weeds, in my opinion, uh, in terms of like outfits and uh, vehicles and things like that. And then, of course, they, they tweeted some, they tweeted uh, a model, a cisgender woman, basically wearing an outfit presenting themselves as a transgender male to female woman with a lot of like highlighting the fact that, you know, there's no other way to tactfully put this, that it, it shows like a glowing penis on the person's outfit, basically boiling down. This is like, yes, I'm a transgender woman with a penis. And it's just, it's, I don't exactly know like who that marketing is directed towards. It just seems like very objectifying very improper it's it's just you could also argue it's transphobic to just reduce them down to that and it's just like oh man i am not looking forward to playing this game with all that with all the and this is basically one one other thing that exacerbates this is that this is the same marketing that has used the joke like did you assume her gender or and then other things like this is this is basically a trend at this point yeah definitely worth mentioning that all three of us are cis dudes, so we're absolutely not the best people to talk about this. And yeah, like, yeah. Um, so, but when well, when but when we how, work with transgender uh, folks here, and they basically are almost appalled at this marketing here, and we obviously are that we consider ourselves their allies. And do you you might say I'm going to play this game, and I'm going to ignore this. It doesn't matter to me, and that's that's fine. If it doesn't matter to you, it doesn't matter to you. We're not going to stop you. We're, we're not going to not cover the game, but we're also not going to just... <sighs> I hate that we have to repeat this every time, but it would be nice just to have, you know, some some solid marketing that didn't have this stuff layered into it that we had to just bring up. But the... Yeah, I've, I've been looking forward to this game. Now I'm sort of at the point where it's just like, I kind of just want to play it like I'm, I'm almost like justifying it to myself. Just, just I want to play it academically, like so I can like just actually speak to it with experience. But I just kind right. of feel like, like I don't, I don't want to just be like I didn't play it because it's transphobic. I want to be like, okay, I'm going to actually read beyond the headline and 
have the experience for myself. And then if I come away feeling very down on it, then I then I'm then I'm justified rather than just, you know, shoving it off and not even considering it from the from the outset. So when when I play through this game, I'm going to try to keep an open dialogue with the 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 representation people who have issues with the representation people who have issues with the objectification and try to just keep their voices in mind as i play through this game and not just shut them out and say your opinion doesn't matter because it doesn't because it doesn't directly relate to me because that I, that i think is just being closed-minded about that is the last thing that i want to do so and I, that come that goes in both ways i don't want to be closed-minded and just say like i'm never touching this so are there any other details specifically that came out of this uh, Night City they Wire just, episode? They basically just like they a big chunk of it was just basically the sound team getting sound for vehicles like cars and motorcycles, which is really impressive. And they even touch on like we're not a racing game, so we're kind of surprised, you know, how much we were able to do here with all the sound. And they showed a bunch of the different cars in the game, and there's like there's like the cars that you find on the like the outside of town, which are more like not not for looks but more for you know their function and, and what you can do with them and then there's like the racing cars and the business cars and and things like that so there's plenty of cars for the car people out there that was that was like more than half of the video like to me like i don't feel down on that but i'm just like i could not be less interested like when i think of cyberpunk i don't think of like i can't wait to drive in the city you know what i mean like it's just like it's not like on the top yeah, of the i'm not a car person so, you know it's just like just give me a car like if they talked more about if they talked more about specific abilities or quests or like more more pure rpg gearhead stuff then sure but like here's all the different outfits you can wear in a first person game and i'm just kind of like mm, i don't know if that really like moves the needle for me so at this point i'm with all the marketing mishaps in terms of crunch and representation and all that i'm just like just, i just want the game to release i just want to play the game rather than like have all this spectacle leading up to it i don't know so uh, that releases on November 19th, so just over a month away. And that's kind of like the biggest hitter of the year in terms of peer like marketing volume, sales volume likely. So it'll be nice to be it'll be able to it'll be nice to be able to talk about this game in present tense rather than in future tense. Let me just put it that way. Yep. And then uh, we this is something that Alex always covers on the site because he's like you know, scratching for any details on this, but Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which has not been officially announced, but heavily rumored and speculated and potentially leaked, but we don't really know. The the trilogy remaster of Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3 supposedly has been name dropped by the Korean ratings board. And we did talk about a couple of weeks ago how supposedly, according to a couple of people, it was planned for this year, but is also slid into next year. But none of this I is think, confirmed. So. I think um, the, the most... The, the most interesting thing here is that Legendary Edition before was just rumored. Like, that name didn't show up anywhere other than, you know, someone with information saying, just yeah. actually saying that's that's what it's called. And now that name, like, the, the fact that that was actually name-dropped basically verbatim from a ratings board. That's true. Gives, yeah. that some, gives that some credence. Like, oh, it's not just coming from some journalist, you know, connections. It's actually been rated somewhere with that same name. So it's like, you know... We have that same name coming from two different directions. There's probably some truth to it. This is enough. This is a series that I really loved. You know, ten years ago when it came out, I'm eager to replay it. 
but I just kind of like, you know, it's since we since it's not officially announced, since it's not officially dated, mm -hmm. I don't even know any real details in terms of like how it's packaged or presented or whatever. It's just hard to really like say, okay, let's just wait more. I don't know. Like, and personally, like I've I've already played the games, and I'm just too. like, I don't, I don't, I don't really know if I'm want to play them again, even if they're like better, you know, versions now. I still haven't played Andromeda. I know it got some black. Apparently, it's better than what it was at launch. <laughs> I should probably play that. It would be kind of interesting to see like what developer or studio or team is behind it. Like it might still have Bioware's name on it, but I won't, it'll be wondering to see like if a good chunk of the efforts have been outsourced uh, or anything like that. Because mainly what I'm thinking of is I, it's, like Bioware is obviously still working on Anthem, at least with the skeleton crew. Some percentage of them might be working on this, but we don't really know that for certain. And then obviously Dragon Age 4 has been like slowly been unveiled over the last couple of years but without a ton to show for it it's just it's just eager to see like when we will see like the fruits of their labor in terms of either this remaster or this reimagining of anthem or this new game in dragon age it'd just be cool to be really really hyped about bioware games again i guess i'll put it that way is the anthem remake or reboot still happening it is until it isn't i suppose yeah, so earlier this year, was it like last year? Time is time is weird. Uh, they basically said, or there was basically reports about how Anthem will have this Anthem Next moment where it will be like completely overhauled and, you know, they're going to make do on their promises from so long ago. Like, what did it release? February of last year? So like a year and eight months ago. Um, Anthem Mech Remade. Anthem A Realm Reborn. <laughs> so it'd be really cool to see them have their their realm reborn moment their no main sky moment but there's just there's also hasn't really shown enough to really be super hyped about it i suppose same with this much of anything so yeah right uh, and maybe this is a weird segue but i don't see it on our list here this is also seems familiar with yesterday's announcement or maybe two days ago um for marvel's avengers mm -hmm. um it's not as bad um, but they posted a state of the game, like Crystal Dynamics posted a state of the game kind of blog post for Marvel's Avengers yesterday or two days ago. And it basically can be summarized as a big acknowledgement of, while we had a lot of launch issues and we're currently working on stability, matchmaking, loot, basically everything uh, in that regard. Um, but, and we're going to, they're giving a bonus away to players, basically saying, thank you for buying the game. And here's some, currency all you know all sorts of currency and can we really with this in mind there are they are delaying the um the kate bishop update which is supposed to be like the first major update hopefully it's just like a few weeks delay nothing more major than that but just like we're going to delay this update we're delaying the next gen version and we'll have more details later on like the upcoming stuff so what i'm getting at is it doesn't sound like it's in as dire straits as Anthem, but I know there were some like, but like rhymes. the player count on Steam wasn't very good. Um, they're trying to maintain a player base, before, you know, before it's too late. So they they're trying to get you know new content, new updates, improving the game in terms of like actually playing it, the matchmaking and the loot. So they're they're sort of in that. I think they're kind of in that mode where they have to do stuff quickly in order before before it really gets bad. Were you gonna say something, James? I was just going to say, uh, I'm not even sure if we can necessarily say that this is better off than Anthem, because Anthem sold really well at launch, too. 
So yeah, it was the it was the best selling game of its month. So I'm, so I guess Avengers has the benefit of pretty much everyone I've heard that it has actually bought and played the game says that if it didn't have the live service stuff, it would actually be a really good single player game, which is kind of funny because yeah, like, I heard the, I heard the campaign people like buggy. yeah. So it's like, it definitely feels like a game that maybe wasn't originally supposed to be a live service, and it's just kind of been stapled onto it, for better or worse. Probably. Well, definitely. It also, it also just has the mass market appeal that you can put it on a, a GameStop or an MCAP and be like, you know, Avengers, Marvel, everyone knows this, where Anthem is more of a unique uh, new IP. So that might just be a little bit of a push, but... Definitely feel like live service games in general have kind of lost their luster for the overall like gaming audience and like you're you have people that play their warframes and play their destinies and i'm assuming like i'm not sure what the like player counts for like fantasy star online 2 are on steam but for all accounts and purposes that seems to be doing really well in the west which it's good to see but man i I, I definitely feel like the AAA gaming industry at large tried too hard to make live services become a thing without realizing that, well, if you try real, if you try too hard to make a game somebody's life, um, lifestyle, it's just going to fall flat on your face. If you yeah, don't at some point, some of those titles, the amount of effort yeah, that you yeah, have to go... Because, like, Division 2, for all intents and purposes, people really liked it at launch, and yet it's basically who, who even talks about it anymore it just kind of got crowded out by everything else apparently yeah. i heard like division two you know people generally liked it but even still it's kind of been like a failure in terms of player count and uh people sticking with it sort of thing so i actually i, I can actually speak to this pretty uh pretty personally because i this is not the sort of game that i would typically play i did not play division one but one of my friends got a division two for free with his memory card or with his graphics card. Um, I don't know why I said memory card. Graphics card. Uh, so we played it together, and then I ended up playing it longer than he did, and I put like 100 hours into it, and I thought it was well-made. I thought it had some really cool... It looks gorgeous on, on a, on a souped-up PC. Um, it's not the sort... I don't think... If, I don't, I don't want to try to review Division 2 here, because it's not really the place for it, but eventually i got to the point where they did their warlords of new york update which is like their first real major like they had other updates before that point but that was like their first like expansion level one and at that point i was just kind of like yeah i had my fill but i want to put more time into uh monster hunter and fantasy star and guild wars and like something's got to get crowded out and that's just true personally and that's true generally and you just wonder like if you, if you try to make every single game not every single if you try to make a game, a platform that people are going to return to and spend money in and be like more than just a single game and you put all the resources into it and then you end up on the losing side where your game gets crowded out. How do you recoup from that? It um, feels like just a repackaged uh, and it, it reminds me of how, of the thing like a decade ago where every MMO was trying to dethrone World of Warcraft and like so many of them failed and like yeah. well and it definitely feels repackaged because now you have like World of Warcraft, like veteran players that were like world's first raiders behind Destiny. And now you have all of these live service games trying to come for Destiny's like Cash Cow. Now, granted, who knows? Maybe in a decade from now, we're going to see a bunch of these 
quote-unquote failed life service games like have a resurgence because nowadays like you've got a lot of successful mmos like final fantasy and elder scrolls online and the like as well as world of warcraft so maybe we'll see history repeat that way but as of right now it's definitely looking like a rough patch for most uh, developers trying to go for live services you wonder if maybe there's people can scale it a bit better and they can do like something like i hate to bring this up because we bring it up in every podcast but monster hunter world where it's like it just dips its toe into the service element without really going too deep into that or it's just like just enough to kind of benefit from it without risking overextending so you wonder if like you don't need to make the destiny killer if you can just borrow some cool ideas from it and repackage it into your ip I know it's very general coming from someone who hasn't developed games. Maybe it's kind of meaningless, but you just wonder like not, not to always try to go so big every time and dethrone the current King. Um, I, I do appreciate when we, when we heard about Gotham Knights and correct me if I'm wrong here, but we kind of all made the assumption that it was like a service game. And then they kind of set out and said, like, no, it's just a it's just a co-op action RPG. Like, you know, we're not we're not going that route. And that was actually kind of refreshing to read for that game that we didn't have to have this other superhero game, like super similar, only DC flavored, just to have like another game where it's like, no, we, we're not shooting for that. We're just we're aiming here and we, we're more we're more confident we can hit that rather than try to be Marvel's Avengers only Batman. This one, this one we should have brought up earlier when we talked about uh, Neo coming to PC and its DLC, but its second DLC now released, um, Darkness in the Capital. So Stop. unfortunately, I don't think any of us can speak to the first DLC. Yeah. I think, go ahead. I haven't played it. Lucas reviewed the first DLC and he's going to be reviewing this one, ah, but okay. he just hasn't gotten to it yet. What do you give the first DLC? Was it an eight or? I, I, don't I think know. it was an eight. Let me check real quick. Yeah. Because I, I, I heard decent things about the first DLC from impressions. Like, earlier on, I actually just, like, hopped on the usual places to see some impressions of this one. Seems like people are really enjoying this DLC drop. And I actually noticed that on the PlayStation Store right now, um, the Season Pass is on sale for 14 bucks. So I'm probably going to pick that up so I can have all three DLCs just ready to go when I, I get to playing them if I don't just start playing the first two DLCs like next week or something. So the first DLC was the Tengu's Disciple, which released in late July. So now we're here in October uh, with Darkness in the Capital. So I guess we'll see the next, the final DLC sometime late winter, early spring. Just making an assumption, just drawing a line to those two points. And then maybe we'll see the PC version in the middle of next year. Clearly that's the, clearly that's the trajectory that we'll see for this. Yeah. Did you see what he ended up giving it at him? Yeah, he gave it an 8. And basically, it seems like it added some cool... It, it came alongside a free update, so it gets a little bit weird, like what's part of the DLC and what's part of the update. Um, but it added some loot, like a new another like option for New Game Plus, um, customization options, and apparently the storyline itself is okay, but kind of short. But that's kind of how these DLC things work usually. Well, this DLC, um, second one, Darkness in the Capital, also has a free component. Um, it says that... The, the DLC itself adds fists as a weapon type. It adds a new difficulty level, which drops ethereal, ethereal level gear. So basically a new gear tier 
And it says like a, a free update will allow you to sacrifice accessories to get items that will also raise enemy strength. So you, you can kind of dabble in some of the new tiers of difficulty, even with the free update, and then you get more bonus. You get more out of it with the paid update. So again, kind of doing that split free and paid. And we saw that also with uh, a few games this generation, like Fire Emblem did that a bunch. A few other games have done that where there's a free component alongside, which is kind of cool to see, I think to have that post-launch support, even if you decide not to uh, patronize the game itself. Yep. Um, speaking of the PlayStation Store, though, I this was kind of a late edition, but I remembered it. It's actually a pretty big news story this week. So I'm not sure if you two are... Um, I followed it very loosely. So, well, Okay. PlayStation has been changing quite a bit about the PSN. I'm, I'm assuming back-end architecture lately, because not just this, but also some changes that came with the firmware 8.0 PS4 update changed the way that PSN parties work. Uh, I'll, I guess I'll kind of briefly talk about that after we talk about the PlayStation web store thing. But so from October 19th, and we only got like a week um, heads like heads up notice for this. The PlayStation Web Store will no longer list PS3, PSP, PlayStation 1, and Vita content. And it also won't list stuff like PS4 themes and avatars. So now you might think, oh, that's not a big deal, because you can just like buy that stuff on the store like the system's respective storefronts. And while that would be true, first off, I'm not sure if any of you have used the PS3's uh, PSN storefront since they updated it to the PlayStation 4's interface, but it barely works. It's laggy as hell, it crashes regularly, and it just is an unpleasant experience to begin with. And for the Vita, this has been a documented issue that many people have run, uh, run across. But for whatever reason, the Vita's forefront sometimes doesn't properly return results for games that have released on the system and that you can access through, like, the download list. But for games like even Utuado Numono Prelude to, the Fa um, Prelude to the Fallen, which just came out in May, you can't find it on the Vita storefront because it's not properly listed there. You have to go on to the web store and buy it there because it just doesn't show up on the Vita itself. So there's a ton of games like this that unless they fix the Vita storefront and unless they do something about, about that, you're just not going to be able to get them, even if they're, they're not. They're going to be, like, stuck in, like, digital purgatory. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. And then it, there's, like, there was this weird, like, phrasing where Sony kind of justified it by saying that you can go on the, those systems' respective storefronts to purchase games, and they included PSP on that list, even though the PSP's, like, actual storefront has been down for years and you can only access the download list it's it's a bit of a mess to put it lightly and then um the other thing i was going to talk about is that uh pre i'm not well i'm assuming nobody else here really uses the ps4 party chat feature regularly nope okay so a bunch of my friends from like high school time uh we use the ps4 party chat quite a bit um, pretty frequently. And uh, the way it used to work is that if you made a PSN party, you could just make it with nobody in there and make it private and then invite people to it. And then once you're done, you just disband the party and you're good. 
It works really well for stuff like if you're, say, playing Destiny 2, because I did this back when Destiny 2 first came out and when I was doing the review for the base game. You could just, if you went online and you searched for, like, a party, you just found people, you invited them to a party, you did your raids, then when you're done, there's just, like, like no residue. There's nothing left over. It's just simple, quick, nothing really to it. There was always an option, because one of the things with messaging on PSN is that you can have message groups, and the way those work is that you add players to a message group, and if you send messages to it, you can also get those messages on like the mobile PS Messages app. And one of the features of message groups is that you can actually jump into a party that um, only can include people that are in that uh, message group. So that has always been an option. Now, with the firmware 8.0 update, that is the only option. You can no longer just make a party and then invite people as you see fit or make a public party for that matter and people on your friends list can just hop in. No, if you want to party chat with people on PS4, it needs to be through that message group, which means that you have to make a dedicated message group for anyone that you want in that party every single time. So I've never played an online game uh, through PSN in this particular way. Normally, what I'm thinking is, is like, if let's say you're part of a group and you're you're in a Discord and you're raiding. So I'm thinking, I'm talking about PC here. Let's say you're doing a raid in an MMO and you've got you you've got all your major people, but you need to pick up one pug, one random person, a pickup. And what you could do is you could just invite them to your Discord under a specific tag and then invite them to to the voice chat. And then when they're done, they leave and that's it. It's it's not quite as clean as what you described as the old PSN version, but it was a pretty easy way to to mix regulars and new random people you're basically saying that that would be impossible under the current psn to have a new person added in ad hoc you, like could, that. you could technically do it but it takes way like way more clicks just to make the message group to add them to the message group all that sort of stuff whereas it was working perfectly fine before and this was already an option it didn't need to be the only option and there's like been some like white noise of people complaining about like Sony recording PSN voice um, voices and whatnot. But the thing is, is that that's always technically been a thing in the end user license agreement since the PS4 launch. So people are making a mountain out of a molehill. Whereas the real problem with PSN parties right now is being almost ignored, which is very, very frustrating. I've also read, this is kind of a footnote here, but um, it, it made a little bit of a of a spike either yesterday or the day before, but like Return of the Obra Din was on sale on eShop and other places, but they didn't allow it to be put on sale on PSN for some reason, the developer said. I know that's just a footnote at this point, but just like I don't understand like the philosophy yeah. behind some of the decisions here. Just yeah, speaking I'll be in general. There's there's some things that I can't talk about just for respect to privacy and whatnot, but there's a reason why I've been kind of down on PlayStation for the last like year or so. It's just, I do not trust their management to make good decisions. Like regardless of how like we personally feel about like the stuff that happens with local, like, with uh, Japanese games on PlayStation 4 now, where there's those like content changes, like take every, like taking into account all of the like weird things that PlayStation has been doing in regards to like, both their like online services like and also their content on their platforms has been 
it, it, it adds up and it makes me feel kind of uncomfortable about the state that PlayStation leadership seems to be in. It makes me remember that not even a year ago, we, or maybe around a year ago, we got that information about, like, apparently there was some sort of, like, power struggle in upper PlayStation management. And then there was, like, heavy disagreements about which way the uh, company should go in. And it's like, man, it, it certainly feels like it. It's as someone who I'm not super invested in a PlayStation, but like I've played Cold Steel on it, I played Final Fantasy Seven Remake on it. Um, there's not like one big smoking gun, but there's just like a lot of little things. Just whether it's the fact that oh, this game's not on sale when it's on sale on every other platform. Oh, they decided just to take out an option for here, and then they kind of fumbled a lot of the. Uh, I feel like they fumbled a lot of the talk about like their backwards compatibility and it ended up being a big nothing burger. People were like, oh my God, I can't believe they're failing on backwards compatibility. And then like very late in the game, they're like, actually 99% of PS4 games are, are compatible. The, the, just the, the just getting that information out just seemed kind of lagged, kind of weird. I feel like that they're failing on backwards compatibility. Because, because they don't have PS1 through 3? Yeah, because... Yeah. It just... There's no good excuse that PS, uh, at least PlayStation 1 and 2, can't be backwards compatible on PlayStation 5. It, the CPU is more than powerful enough to do so. Uh, PS3, I guess you could see an argument that, oh, maybe it's not quite strong enough, but Microsoft was able to do uh, Xbox 360 games on Xbox One with a vastly weaker CPU. And Zen 2 works relatively well, well, actually really well, on um, RPCS3, and if it's Sony themselves, they should be able to manage better performance on an emulator because they literally developed the system. And even more so than that, like Microsoft has made the argument, and it's been going on for long enough now, that I feel comfortable in buying an Xbox game and knowing that that game will be playable on the next Xbox 10 years from now. I yeah. do not, like, I'm going to have to worry about any of my game library just disappearing. Sony has not done that. Sony, not only that, has made it so that you can, pretty soon you can no longer easily buy games for your old systems. Microsoft... Yeah, at, at what point will the PS4, like... Yeah, Microsoft, as far as I can tell, has not, like, blocked off you from buying games for Xbox 360 through the Xbox 360. And obviously it's web store. You can still buy 360 games through there. I, if I was going to invest in a long-term ecosystem for my games, I would feel infinitely more comfortable giving my money to Microsoft at this point than Sony, because Sony, quite frankly, has shown not just a disrespect for their pre previous platforms and the games on there, but even a sort of disdain. Like, Jim Ryan, who is now, like, from what I understand, one of the high, highest up in the company. Like, he has that famous quotation where he basically says, who wants to play those old games anymore? And as someone that really cares about game preservation and really cares about some of those old games that apparently nobody wants to play anymore, it really, quite frankly, pisses me off. Because there's so many games out there that, um, like... If they're not preserved, if they're not easy to play in the current in the current generation, if they're not easy to play for people that are getting into games now, that's history being lost. 
that's games that maybe would ne- that maybe would have gotten a larger audience down the road that are never getting that chance. This this is more PC centric. I don't think I feel as strongly as you do, but I see where you're coming from. But like just in the last couple of years, I've played the original Fallout, the original Baldur's Gate, and I know that's more PC centric. But like, what if uh, in a few years I want to play like a late PS3 game, and I'm like, well, I'm out of luck. Or maybe in 15 years I want to play an early PS4 game, and it's no longer supported on whatever PS console is out there now. And then it's just like you're out of luck. Like play it now and forget about it later. Like it's they have they have a shelf life under PS under Sony. It seems like. Yeah, and they don't even coming from. and they don't even give their customers the respect to let them know about this web store change more in the week in advance. It's but then the thing it... is is some someone's going to inevitably point out that well, who cares what you think because they released their UI trailer and it has a bajillion views and ninety nine percent upvote. Like they have like that goodwill be, uh, built up that it's almost like too big to fail. And it seems like all, all I can say is, is that if I didn't need to get a PlayStation five for like coverage, like for covering games that are inevitably going to be exclusive that I want to talk about and review on the site. I don't know if I pick up a PlayStation five because personally I am not a fan of where the PlayStation brand and leadership is taking things. That's fair. Like you're entitled to your opinion and I can see where you're coming from. Like, I'm not saying that dis- dismissively. I'm saying it, like, genuinely. Yep. The last footnote that we have here is what? Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if Adam can speak to this at all. Sorry to put you under the bus. But we do have an October RPG release coming out. And that's Yanwan Sword 7, a Chinese uh, third-person RPG, coming out worldwide on Steam on October 29th. And... I know the Xbox One version is also listed, but slated later. Is the same true for PS4? No, it's... So, a couple of things. It's coming out on Steam Worldwide on October 29th. The PS4 version in Asia is coming out on October 29th, but not in the West yet. They just said, like, it'll be a little later for that. It's also... also it was also, like, uh, included in, like, an Xbox Wire indie showcase... And so, like, it's coming to Xbox One, but it just hasn't been dated yet. Um, so, yeah, it'll be on Steam first, then PS4. There's not going to be a physical version in the West, but there's an Asian version you can probably import for PS4. Xbox, who knows? But, you know, it feels like Chinese games have kind of been starting to, like, branch out a little bit. Obviously, there's Genshin Impact uh, kind of made a big splash and still continues to make a big splash. There's just more and more games being developed coming out of China. Um, that are getting English versions. Like this is this is a worldwide release. It'll be available in Chinese and English. Uh, I know a couple of years ago, Liz played like a different Chinese game called Sword and Fairy, just kind of out of interest. Like I want to see what this is like, and she didn't like it at all. But that's a completely different brand, though. So you know, it's just kind of like there's we're seeing more and more of these sorts of games that are going to be available, just that you can play on Steam or wherever. I think there was um. There's another Chinese like indie-ish game that came out recently, like a side scroller one. I forget what it was called. I think you played like two hours of it. But yeah, it's uh, kind of in, it's in but, general, it's just cool just to see uh different like the tools, the tool sets are becoming robust enough and the know-how is becoming more widespread that we can see games from all over. Like China's been making games a while, but it seems like they're really now 
up to par where they really can use, some people might argue that Genshin Impact is one of the best RPGs of the year and it doesn't have that stigma where it's like well I guess I guess that you can't even say that there are there is a certain contingent of people that will always always see that as a Breath of the Wild knockoff and nothing more but it seems like there's a very large other population of people that have really genuinely enjoyed that game and then of course i know james is sitting there sitting about thinking about the censorship issues which of course are still valid and still relevant um that's the thing that these these how the political you know aspirations kind of tie in when you uh have games coming from across every single type of country in the world but even chris tales being like a colombian game or things like that just games places that you wouldn't expect to see these from even 10 years ago at least not on a widespread always released in english worldwide release basis so Yan One Sword, I don't know if anyone really at our site is super interested in it, but it's just an interesting, you know, hey, the worldwide release coming out of China available this month on Steam in English. Like, yeah, I just think it's notable cool and it's like, like when it releases, you can play it in English and at least try it in your language. Like, I, I just think that's cool. Who knows if the game's any good? I don't know. Apparently, there was one other version. One, this is the obviously the seventh game in the series. Is it Yan One Seven? Forget the number. Yeah. Um, but there was like a spinoff that was actually really available in English a few years ago that you can actually buy on Steam right now. So um, I don't really, yeah, interesting. I don't really play super like that many Chinese games, but like clearly like um, Chinese developers and publishers are having a breakthrough moment in the West because we're seeing games, not just like Engine Impact, but also like one of the major games that Microsoft has been heavily showcasing for the series at SNX is a game bought by the name of Bright Memory, which was a originally a PC exclusive, but it's like a first-person shooter with like kind of like character action, like combat. Um, is that the one with like the katana? I guess, yeah. But it's um, yeah, and that's like a Chinese-developed game that has kind of blown up, and like there's like. So on this one uh, forum I'm part of, they like every now and then I see people talking about these weird, like random, like Chinese games on Steam that have like a surprising amount of depth, and some of them are RPGs that I feel like we probably should like go back and like check them out or maybe even cover them because like there's a surprisingly high number of uh, like Chinese developed games and RPGs on PC that have a surprising like level of polish a surprising um, amount of detail a surprising amount of content and obviously with games like Genshin Impact like I guess really opening the floodgates it's going to be interesting to see how the landscape works like five years from now and despite my concerns with like censorship and whatnot I think it is at least good to get a feel for like some of the cultural output coming from China because if nothing else it helps us understand each other better this is sort of a, not the same topic, but related. It's also just like, um, how do I put this? I don't, I don't know how to segue into this. But like, for example, the Outer Worlds on Switch is getting an update um, soon to oh, like yeah. improve it. And that port was done by a Chinese-based team. And that's Virtuos Games. And they've done like a few Final Fantasy games on Switch and things like that. For and sure. that, just kind of, that just kind of ties into like this sort of globalization that you know Square Enix or Obsidian or private division or whoever, you know, they're working with these companies, not only for, you know, not only are Chinese developers making their own games, but, you know, they're doing porting for games from other countries. So this kind of just kind of just touch on the whole globalization of all of this. 
yep. want to say that I think we mis I think I mispronounced the name. It's Shen Yuan. So Shen for the X U A N Yuan Shen Yuan Sword Seven. Shen I want to at least. Not, yeah, not I want to make. I wanna, yeah. yeah, I want to make my best attempt to pronounce that correctly. So Shen Yuan uh, coming out on October 29th on Steam. So that covers the. Uh, the news for the week like i said it's kind of like a bunch of delays some 2021 looking ahead a few games we a few more details about games coming out next month but at this point i'm just kind of like i uh, just release already i want to play cyberpunk and maybe age of calamity and maybe uh yeah because i like a dragon so next week thing um obviously there's that one game that i'll finally be able to talk about and also i'll probably have some impressions about um the most recent Final Fantasy XIV update that I haven't had the chance to really touch yet. Uh, mm-hmm. I, the only thing I've really heard about it is that apparently uh, Red Chocobos have uh, invaded Eorzea again, and uh, people are having like uh, flashbacks to uh, some interesting shenanigans that happened in the game when Stormblood was still uh, current. Because uh, I guess just to kind of like give uh, a brief a really brief explanation is that like in order to unlock like an alliance raid in Stormblood, you had to spawn these red chocobos that also like drop in the gears. And it was like not an instant scenario, it was just on the map. So you talk to someone, they'd spawn a red um, a red chocobo, and then like when that patch released, there would be like dozens of red chocobos like spawned. And because the meteors are a uh, AoE damage, just and there's so many of them spawning meteors, it was just like death incarnate and uh so the red chocobo has come back in the most recent uh patches content and i guess kind of to an as a nod to just how uh how memorable it was in stormblood it's uh wiping people out and there's like all these memes like about how just how deadly it is and like one of my favorite ones is that one scene from monty python the holy grail they photoshopped it so instead of the rabbit it's just a red chocobo standing there <laughs> so, yeah. so this is 5.35 right yeah yeah it'd be cool to see your uh your, your monthly check-in for final fantasy uh 14 i don't know why i almost said 17 yeah. owner 17 will be the next mmo <laughs> anyways yep and sometime this month we are also supposed to get the um some sort of website update for Final Fantasy 16 talking about characters and art and you know more details that they really are kind of vague on. So we'll see if that ends up coming to fruition before next week. So uh, we do have all those impressions and previews and reviews that I mentioned up on the site. You can always follow us uh, on Twitter at RPG site. You can follow us on YouTube, RPG site net. We did just put up about an hour's worth of gameplay from Baldur's Gate 3. If you go to our website, you can click on our Discord at the top of the page to join that discord if you'd like and then we will be back here uh with another edition of the tetracast next week as we seemingly always are so until then take care stay safe and we'll see you next time later